You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. Good morning, everybody. It is beautiful out again. Has this been amazing, like, last three weeks? Like, the, the leaves are so full of color, and they've stuck on for a little while. Like, in the last couple of years, you know what, we'd get a a rain or a snowfall or something, and then we'd lose our leaves, and, and this year we get them for a lot longer. So thank you, Lord, for that. Uh, I called this talk, and most of my talks don't get it a, a title, but I like the title. Uh, it's called Deliberate Faith Demands Intention. And that won't make any sense to you until I'm finished the talk. Deliberate Faith Demands Intention. I, I want to talk to you. Oliver uh, gave us a talk a few weeks ago about making space to hear God's voice. Chad talked about the importance of margin in our lives. Um, And this morning, I want to talk about protecting your faith by guarding your mind. Protecting your faith by guarding your mind. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read a few verses. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth and he says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The Apostle Paul uh, reveals a whole bunch of stuff, even in this little passage. He, he was brilliant beyond his years, beyond his generation. He understood that we, as human beings, we're, we're physical beings, and everybody in the room who can see another human being, you can get that. He understood that we are thinking beings. He understood that we are feeling, we're emotional beings, but he also understood in a profound way, that we are spiritual beings. And he is talking to a group of people who have opened their hearts to Jesus. And when they open their hearts to Jesus, God, by his Holy Spirit, God who is spirit, They opened their hearts to the very living, pulsating spirit of God. And they had what is called a spiritual birthing or a spiritual uh, awakening. And when you think about it, you know, uh, all of your your, your five senses, you, you learn to develop your five senses. For instance, if you, you know, you, if your eyes, if you lost your eyes, your ears would be infinitely more, considerably more uh, uh, intuitive. And, and, and you can develop your five senses. Well, your spiritual senses, your spiritual being is, is like a child when it, when it comes alive and is born. You know what? A little infant can't do much really even struggles to relate to mom who loves it more than anything. But eventually that child begins to be able, becomes very responsive to mom, very responsive to love. And so is it as, as a spiritual being. You start out and you only sense a little bit. 
you have a little bit of intuition. You have this a little bit of awareness of God. But if you will lean into it, and those who are mature spiritual beings are those who know how to respond to God's love and interact with it. And, 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 and you interact with it in, in things we call prayer and worship and thanksgiving and that kind of thing. And so they opened themselves to God and they got God's Holy Spirit. This is an amazing thing. Have you ever liked somebody more than they liked you? That's, I get that a lot, I think. I think, I think I like my friends a lot more than they like me. I'm pretty sure about that. Have, 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 you, have you ever really, really wanted to be friends with somebody, but you just weren't cool enough? Welcome to junior high and high school in Edland. Like, honestly, I, I was saying in the first service that I think the devil came up with the idea of a yearbook in high school. Because <laughs> it was okay for the first year, but then, see, because I didn't know I was a nerd. I didn't, I didn't know. I was just, I just, I was one of these things is not like the other. Can you guess which things are kind of the same? And I wasn't one of those things. And I look back on my yearbook, I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa. That, who did that? You know, because I wanted to belong to cool people, but I wasn't cool. And this is this incredible thing. I wanted to be wanted and there have been times where I wasn't wanted. But here you have the most significant, you, here you have the most, the coolest person in the entire universe. The one who holds all things together. The one who holds all things together, seen and unseen. Everything you know about and all the rest wants to be your friend. Deeply wants friendship with you. But you know, in this narrative, most of us are just too cool for God. And if you're not too cool for God, then you would spend more time working at this, this intimate, invisible thing called a spiritual friendship with God, a spiritual relationship. You're just too important doing all that you're doing to have time for a friendship that he longs for. Is that weird? Is that like, that's, crazy, right? And God's spirit enters into us and he begins to speak to us in the spiritual, this personal, intimate, invisible spiritual relationship. He guides us and comforts us and teaches us. And it is in this place, somewhere in here, that Deliberate faith is ignited and it's in here, not so much in here, but when it's ignited in here, it has enormous amount of power. It's ignited and it's fueled in here. And your spiritual connection is absolutely critical to you living the, the greatest story that you could possibly live. And your spiritual connection is exactly what Satan wants to suffocate. It is the thing that threatens him the most. It's the thing that terrifies him. It's the thing he's most jealous of. It's the thing that he wants to kill in your life. Because if he can destroy, distort, disconnect you spiritually, 
If he can unhook you there, then he can steal your faith. If he can unhook you there, then he can steal your hope. And once he's taken your hope, he's taken your strength. Once he's taken your hope, he's sifted you of your strength. And he's been stealing this from people since the Garden of Eden. That's what he does. Now, this passage is really important. This passage is really important because uh, um, if someone wants to destroy you and take you out, It'd be nice to know how to defend yourself. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul is actually giving us the battle plans of the enemy. He's telling us very specifically where the snipers are and what are the snipers shooting at. He's telling us where the landmines are and what are the landmines targeting in your life. The book of Revelations, the book of John tells us that Satan is a liar. That's how he does his work. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. His favorite weapon, his favorite weapon against the seeds of greatness that are alive in you, that when, 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 when nurtured will produce things that you can't even imagine in your life, his weapon against that is lies. He works overtime trying to pervert, trying to distort, trying to, to uh, your understanding of your father. He works overtime trying to disfigure your understanding of how he sees you. That's where he is targeting his attacks and his lies. Because as a man thinks, as a woman thinks in their heart, so are they. And so to to protect your strength, to protect your faith, you have to fight for it. You you, got to fight for it, man. Deliberate faith demands intentions. You know, there are times in this beautiful, invisible, spiritual relationship that you have with God, that God will breathe a word to you in season. There were times when my world was so chaotic, so much stress, uh, all kinds of stress, relationship stress, financial stress, all kinds of stuff going on on the outside of my life. It's just one nasty storm. And somewhere in my seeking him, he will speak a word of hope or a word of peace. And that little, when I say speak, it comes intuitively. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because, I mean, we use the word speak, but for some of you, that, that weirds you out. And, and somehow you, you feel like he's breathed the word of hope or a word of quiet into your very inner being. Well, that, that breath, that word, that word has more has more substance than all the chaos around you. And when, when God comes to you and you are sick in your body and you, you have no hope in your, your doctors anymore because they don't have any answers and, and you hear in your inner being a word of healing, then that word of healing has more substance than, than all of the circumstances around your life. He said, my, 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 my ways are higher than your ways. He said, my words are higher than your words and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You know what that means? It means that his words are weightier than spiritual words coming from heaven are weightier than any of the circumstances that are containing your life right now. 
If you were to take a tank, I couldn't think of anything heavier than a tank. But if you were to take a tank and drive it off the bridge and land in Lake Okanagan, the water would give way to the tank. Do you know why? Because the tank is more, has, has more weight, more substance than the water. The water gives way. And so is it with, 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 with hope and peace and joy and spiritual things. When the Spirit of God puts something in you from here, it's heavier, it's weightier, it's more, has more substance than anything going along. And that's why when you become a Christian, your life doesn't become smoother, it becomes more buoyant because storms still come and life still beats the crap out of you. But somehow you have something bigger inside of you than all that's coming in. I, you know, I was talking to a, a, a young a Christian gal this week and sure her heart's broken she found out her husband's had had multiple affairs on her the relationships decimated her, she's angry she couldn't stop weeping except for at some point in time she looks at me and then smiles and says but you want to know something that's crazy I think I'm going to be okay. I'm going to get through this. I can't believe how okay I am. I thought that this would destroy me, but somehow I'm still here. And it's because she has looked for comfort and for hope from a source that is bigger than anything that you can get from a relationship, anything that you can get from the world outside of you. And Paul tells us the weapons of our warfare, they're not physical, but they're mighty in God, he says, for pulling down strongholds. Now, this whole picture of a stronghold is an interesting one. A stronghold is a secure place where about somewhere between three and 800 soldiers can hide in secret. So you don't know they're there, they're hiding. And from this secure hiding place, they... they, they, they they run their, their destructive missions and then they come back to their hiding place. It's a hiding place. And I submit to you that Satan's hiding place is your broken thoughts. His hiding place are the distortions and the lies that you have accepted as reality. That's his hiding place. He hides in the lies that block life and relationship, that block faith and freedom and courage. He hides in lies. And lies don't have to be all lies. They just have to be a subtle distortion. One of Satan's uh, strategies in our lives is to attach himself to a lie that you or is rather to establish, attach himself, attach a lie to your deepest wounds, okay? One of his strategies is to attach a lie to, 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 to a deep wound, a time of pain in your life. Have you ever failed at something? Have you ever epically failed? You know how when you fail, your face gets all flush. Like you, you begin to experience enormous amounts 
of shame. It's because, I mean, think about that. Is this, sometimes I just get so flooded when I fail at something as if my life has ended. It's disproportionate to, the, to, to, to what actually just happened, okay? But sometimes I think it is that way because the enemy comes to us in our failure and he says, you failed because you are a failure. And you will always be a failure. And if you don't learn to challenge that thought, to push back that thought, then you begin to actually, after a little while, look for evidence to prove, I think he's right. I think that's true. Because I did fail before once. Actually, now that I think of it, I've failed many times before. Ah, my life is a disaster. I'm a failure. I, I am... Um, I read this beautiful story about a man, he's 65 years old, has his family around him, they're celebrating some holiday, and uh, everybody's happy, and all of a sudden, Grandpa starts crying and weeping, and nobody gets why, and he goes over, and he grabs his wife, and he sobs, and he sobs. He said, I've been holding on to a secret my whole adult life, and it is crushing me, I can't hold on to it for one more minute. He gets his composure and then he tells his wife, I can't read. I have never been able to read. I am almost completely illiterate. And I have worked so hard to compensate for this inability to read. And I've been lying to you all my whole life. I can't read. And I'm so ashamed that I never said anything. And so I held on to my secret and he said, and it is sucking the life out of me. When he was in school, he was in a country school and there was a fairly large room, several teachers teaching kind of all the subjects and all the grades. He said, there was one teacher, he said, and, and whenever we would have to read in public, I stuttered and I, and I, and I pronounced words wrong. And I and, and she, he said, I felt so much shame from this teacher and she would publicly humiliate me until one day I decided I cannot feel that shame again. And so I stopped trying. And the family got around grandpa, around their dad, around her husband. And they didn't shame him. They loved him. And so every night of the week, a different grandkid brings her favorite book or his favorite book and has grandpa time. And the grandkids are teaching grandpa to read just like someone taught them to read. Can you see how one lie attached to a, a wounding experience can, can anchor you for an entire lifetime? Has that happened to you? It's not uncommon, by the way. Have, have you ever been rejected by somebody? Have you ever been, been rejected? I mean, seriously, being rejected in, the love, in love is absolutely the most devastating. It hurts and scratches and itches in places you can't scratch. Being rejected... When you get rejected, the enemy comes with a lie. 
And he says, you want to know why you're rejected? Because you are a reject. And not only that, no one will ever want you. No one will ever attach to you. No one will ever choose you. And even if they do, it's only a matter of time before they reject you. Can you see? I've seen that played out again and again and again. So much so that people even self-sabotage the relationship because they'd rather sabotage it than wait for the other person to abandon them and reject them again. When you sin, Satan comes. And you didn't just sin, you are that sin. Not only that, you always be that sin. He wants to define you. He wants you to define you by your worst moments. The enemy wants you to define yourself by your weakest choices, by your biggest mistakes. And I'm telling you this, we need to learn to arrest these thoughts at the gates. See, you, you, you know, somebody once said, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, right? And it's like that was thoughts. We, we have thoughts. We have lots of thoughts, right? I, I got thoughts. I'm so ADD. I got thoughts all day. And, and, and you, you can't stop thoughts from coming into, you know, passing through. Just like you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. And so is it with thoughts. And if you don't arrest them at the front gate, then you will begin to start entertaining those thoughts. And when you start entertaining those thoughts, they move into you and then they begin to spread like weeds inside your soul. One of the great lies that I've had to overcome in my life was something that happened, a seed, a wound that happened when I was nine years old. So mom and dad uh, came from Germany. And so German is my first language. There wasn't, we lived in a German community. There was really no need for me to speak English, so I didn't. And then, for some reason, in Canadian schools, they want you to speak English. What's that all about, right? And, uh, and, uh, and so I was a little slow on the uptake. I started when I was five. I don't know what that was about, but... And you know how you're with your class for a year, a little bit, and, and uh, kids are incredibly intuitive. They know how to read the room. And you read the room, you know who's cool. I don't know how you know, you just know. You know who's smart, you know who's not. And, and, and I always knew, just until, we never, nobody ever had the conversation, okay, who's dumb? Oh, don't, you know, I just knew I was one of the dumb ones. I knew it was one of the dumb ones, but I didn't mind because my friends were also dumb <laughs> and we weren't smart. We were dumb. We, we didn't do good in class, but we were amazing at recess. We crushed it in sports, phys ed. You know what? Besides, school's for nerds anyway, right? And so, and so we lived for lunch and recess and phys ed and, it, and I was awesome. Going into grade five was epic at Tuxedo Park Elementary School because the grade fivers got to move to the upper field with the grade sixers. Best field at the school. All the bottom feeders stayed on the lower field, right? And so I'm sitting there in grade five and the teacher calls out and takes attendance and doesn't call my name. 
New teacher to the school, I point out that he didn't call my name, which annoyed him. And then he looks through all these papers until he gets to this one paper and he goes, I didn't call your name because you're not in my class. You failed. You're in grade four. Go see Miss Murphy. And all of a sudden, that actually happened. I, I just, and I was big for grade five. Like, I'm telling you, I was formidable. And um, I was, oh, I was fat. Okay. Uh, that, that, that's a nice way. <laughs> formidable. I was, I was husky. G- girthy. Okay, I had boobs. That means you. <laughs> that means I was big. Okay, so so um, so so I'm sitting there and I am bawling my eyes out. Well, this male teacher had no idea to, what to do with tears, so he calls the the vice principal and she's a lady, and so she comes and they take me into the hallway and I'm sobbing. This is terrible. I don't get to play on the upper field. Nothing could be worse than this moment, right? And I won't stop crying, so they call my mom, and she comes, and she brings food, and so I'm a little bit better. It's a little bit better. And then I go to grade four, and Miss Murphy puts me at the front of the class. I'm bigger than she is. Like, I, I'm baby Huey in grade four. Utterly, <laughs> utterly humiliated. I am pouring my pain out, Jen, and all you can do is laugh at me. Anyway, Anyway, so, 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 so anyway, my point is that uh, I, it was traumatic. Now, that, that, that was all real. Truth is, I caught up with my class by Christmas. But you know what happened? The enemy came in that moment in my life, and the narrative shifted. It took me 30 years to figure this out. I used to think I was one of the dumb ones. But that day, it shifted, and I was the dumbest one. I was the only one who failed. And, 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 and it was such a painful, a traumatic experience. And, 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 and now I'm looking for evidence to prove it's true. And I'm the only one who failed. And I'm still struggling. And nothing's going well. I want you to know something. When a lie goes in, you see here in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says there are strongholds, there are imaginations, and there are thoughts. That is a cognitive pattern. A thought becomes an image, becomes a stronghold. And that was happening in my young life. A thought was moving to an imagination where it's breathing and living. It's not, an, it's not a disconnected thought. It's me. And then becomes a stronghold. And that stronghold, that lie is more powerful than success. It's more powerful than money. It's more powerful than the mirror. Because you know something, when we, I got into my 20s and I got in my 30s and in my little, little world, I had some successes. I had the privilege of speaking to thousands and thousands of people at a time. And yet I would go to the hotel and I'd be just so exhausted because I'd spent that entire time pretending, hoping that the people out there never figured out that the dumbest guy in the room was actually on the stage. God, they can never know. They can never find that out. And the enemy contains us like that. You see, your life is a reflection of the focus of your heart. You can be contained and conformed to a lie or you can be transformed by a truth. And until you know something's a lie, then you don't know to challenge it. 
And if you know it's a lie, if you know something's true, then you have something now, a new orientation point for the lie to, to be destroyed and challenged. You see, human beings, we have this ability to have multiple voices in our heads. The problem is some of those voices that have the loudest, the, the, the volume is the highest, they're voices from our, our past. And think about this, your mind is a castle. Your mind is a castle. Uh, your, your ears, your eyes, and your words and your thoughts, rather, your ears, your eyes, and your thoughts, they are the gate. They're, the, they're, they're the, the entrance points to your castle. Deliberate faith demands intention because you are the gatekeeper of your castle. You are the only one that can decide who gets in and who does not get in. And you stand on top of your castle gate and fear comes to your gate. And you say, who goes there? Fear, what business do you have here? Uh, I'd like to torment you, maybe steal some of your courage. And if you don't know this is a war, if you don't know that you need intention, if you don't know this is a battlefield, what do you do? Well, okay, come on in. Hatred, bitterness come. What is your business here? Yeah, I'd like to make you spiteful, really make you a little angrier than you are. Well, okay, for a little while. If this wasn't true, why are you so angry? And you invite him in. And then lust comes into the gate. What do you want? Well, I'll give you a little bit of pleasure, but then ultimately I'd just like to enslave you, give you no self-worth, overwhelm you with shame, well, okay, just for a short visit, and you invite him in. Let me tell you something right now, you guys, that stopping those thoughts at the gates is infinitely easier than evicting a tenant that you have given permission to take up residence in your heart and mind. And because you don't live with great intention, you allow stuff that doesn't belong into your mind thoughts of bitterness and anger and resentment and all of that stuff. And you think it's no big deal. I'm in charge. Well, you want to know something? You're in charge of the gate. After that, stuff happens because they get inside and all of a sudden fear starts talking to everyone else in there. Fear starts talking to your faith. And all of a sudden faith starting to doubt. Fear starts talking to your peace and hatred. He's stirring it up in there. Hatred and fear, you know what? They get along so good inside, they have babies in there. And now you've got these hateful, anxious babies. And then lust and bitterness hook up. Now you have all these spiteful, pervert babies in your mind. <laughs> and your kingdom is a disaster. And you don't, you don't even know, you think, how did I get here? You remember that? Uh, remember that guy uh, in Mark five? He has this legion of demons in him. You remember that guy? I mean, this guy's a disaster, right? He <laughs> he opened himself up the same way I just described. He opened himself up to one unprotected thought after another, 
after another, after another. And by the times you get so confused and so full of anger and so full of hate, then you find yourself running around naked at night just like him. You find yourself eating a neighbor's cat just like him. You, you, I mean, you, get, you have so many demons. Your demons have demons. Everywhere you go, man, you get a group rate. You're so full of demons. You begin to look like him. Jesus comes to him. They, and the man sees Jesus a long way off and he runs to him. And I, I love this. And he runs to him and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. Not, not even 2,000 demons could keep him from worshiping. And when he humbled himself before Jesus and he worshiped him, Jesus set him free from every single thought that was contrary to the thought of God, the contrary that, that to, to what God's thoughts were. He set the man free. And I believe with all of our heart, that's what happens when we come to worship. We say, wash me. Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me. And then he shows us and we bring that to repentance and we lay it before him. I'm going to invite the band to come on up and I'll land here. The scriptures teach us very, that we are created in such a way that our greatest joy, our greatest fulfillment, our greatest um, version of ourselves really is linked to aligning ourselves in two areas. One is to be in sync with a spiritual God in a spiritual place in your life. To have a friendship. I almost don't want to use the word relationship because that's so overused, but to, to have a dynamic going on where you're, you're aware of God, the Holy Spirit in your life, and, and you realize that it's your job to steward that presence everywhere you go. I, I saw this thing on, um, or somebody told me about it. That's what it was, and I wrote it down. And, and Oprah, Winf Oprah Winfrey's got this thing where she said, to, um, t take responsible for the energy you bring into the room. And I say, take responsibility for the spirit you bring into the room with you. Is that an angry presence? Or is that his presence? And number two, so being in sync with spiritual intimacy with the Father. And number two, living in harmony with each other. And the reason I bring those up at the very end here is because if I was the enemy, those are the two areas I would attack you at. If, if I was the enemy, this would be the two areas I'd be lying to you about the most. I'd be lying to you about the person you're frustrated with. I'd be lying to you about your father-in-law. I'd be lying to you about your mom and your dad. I'd be lying. I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be stirring assumptions in you to divide you from the people that God has called you to. And I would divide you from the Father's understanding of how he created you. And maybe that's what Proverbs is talking about when it says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. Amen. Um, maybe, I don't know if you identified with that story, but are you able to look into your own life and see how the enemy attached a lie to a wound. Can you articulate what that lie is?
And that lie continues to operate unless you challenge it. And you challenge it with truth. You challenge it with what God says about you. You challenge it with his word. And sometimes you have to challenge it and challenge it and challenge it and challenge it until it breaks its power over that. But I promise you this, God's word is higher than that. It's weightier than those lies. And those lies will displace. They will give way. Let's stand together and pray. First of all, Father, thank you that you would want a relationship with us. You, you've seen us at our worst. and We look much better at a distance, and yet you want to get up close and personal and intimate with us. And we are so humbled, and we are so awed at that, and we thank you for that. And we don't even know what to do with that except for to say, open our hearts and say, oh, absolutely, Lord, help us to know you. And Father, help us to see you more clearly. Help us to see how you see us. And then, Father, help us to see how you see the people in our world. And Lord, we will open ourselves to your love. And we'll open ourselves to a revelation that you have for us about us. And we will open ourselves to a revelation that you give to us about your love for the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Audio from the House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.